Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Generally, we will see across Canada, particularly for international parents, that it is a three-step process. So first, obtaining a parentage order. The next step would be to obtain a birth certificate. And the final step would be to obtain the Canadian passport so that you can return home. And again, we have birthright citizenship here in Canada. So any child born on Canadian soil becomes a Canadian citizen by virtue of their birth. As highly produced as it is and as safe as it can be in the U.S., there are still risks. And so it's important to understand, to think through it carefully and to um, not rush through it. And to remember that a delay of a month is a month or two months. In the grand scheme of a child's lifetime, that's nothing. So to remain patient and be diligent in the research. Hello and welcome to the My Surrogacy Journey podcast. I'm your host today, Anna Buxton. Today we are talking all about the law, specifically the law in the US and Canada if you are considering an international surrogacy journey. I'm joined by Rich Vaughan from the International Fertility Law Group and Rachel West from Carbate Weight, both of whom are advisory board members at My Surrogacy Journey. So Rich is joining us from the US and Rachel from Canada. Rich, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. Let's just start with a bit of an introduction. Rachel, can you tell us about you? Absolutely. It's nice to be here with everybody. My name is Rachel West. I am a surrogacy and fertility lawyer based out of Calgary, Alberta in Canada. So we are right alongside the Rocky Mountains, if anyone would like to come visit. I work in the area of surrogacy and fertility. We assist both intended parents and surrogates and egg donors in all aspects of surrogacy and fertility. So that would include egg donation agreements, sperm donation agreements, surrogacy agreements, and then also the post-birth parentage process. I have two children of my own. I have a 10-year-old son and a 7-year-old daughter. You always have to think about the age of the second one. (laughs) (laughs) And me, along with my partner-in-law, we run our surrogacy practice out of Calgary. We work as a team. We want to ensure that we are always available for our clients. And we really just love helping people create the families that they have envisioned. And we also really like meeting the babies. So that's my summary. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Rachel. I'm Rich. Tell us about yourself. Well, thank you for having me today. So I am first and foremost a parent through surrogacy and egg donation. I have twin boys who are on the verge of tweendom. They're turning 13 in a few months. But I also run a 
fertility law practice here in the United States. It's called International Fertility Law Group. It's a national practice. We work all across the country. We have 16 members of the firm. And uh, we've been doing national work since 2006, but the firm goes back to 1992. So we've been doing this for 28 years. In, in the course of uh, not only running the firm, I also chaired the American Bar Association Assisted Reproduction Committee for the family law section of the American Bar for five years. And um, we've helped thousands and thousands of people from all over the world, including including many from the UK. Great. So everyone listening knows that um, at My Surrogacy Journey, we support couples going through um, an international journey in Canada and the US. So what we want to do today is just talk about the legal framework and parameters and what we need to be thinking about when considering surrogacy in Canada and the US. So Rich, let's come straight back to you. Can you give us just that overall perspective on what is the US framework for for a UK intended parent? Well, for surrogacy in particular, it's important to know that surrogacy law in the U.S. is not federal law. It is uh, state by state here in the U.S. So what works in one state may not work in the other. So it's important for intended parents from the U.K. to meet with an attorney early on in the process to discuss their particular circumstances so they can uh, decide and, and discuss which states in the U.S. are legally suitable for them. And then, of course, once they've narrowed that down and they've found a surrogate who's been medically cleared and psychologically cleared, et cetera, and ready for the contract stage, we put contracts together between intended parents and surrogates. Those contracts must be in place before the surrogate is allowed to start her injectable medications to get ready for an embryo transfer. That's a requirement um, of all clinics and, and in all states. Once the contract is underway and then they're working on getting pregnant, the next really key phase of the work is the parentage phase. And, and by parentage, I mean going to court to get a court order to make it clear that the surrogate is not the parent, her uh, spouse or partner is not a parent, and that the intended parents are the legal parents and that their names would go on the birth certificate. Now, again, because this varies from state to state, some states allow us into court during the pregnancy to obtain what's referred to as a pre-birth order. And that's actually the majority of states. And in those states, you have the option of going to court pre-birth, or you can go to court post-birth if you prefer. Most people prefer going during the pregnancy. And then there are other states where the court requires that we wait for the birth to occur and then go to court and get a post-birth order to make it clear that the intended parents are the legal parents. And then this court order is provided not only to the hospital where the birth occurs, but also to what we refer to here as the vital records office, which is where the birth certificate is prepared. And so the vital records officers must follow the court order in preparing the birth certificate. And then once um, intended parents from the UK are ready to go home, then of course they need to engage in, in the process of getting a UK parental order, depending on their particular circumstances. But in most cases, as long as they're domiciled in the UK, they have to go through a parental order process to be further confirmed as the legal parents under UK law. Which you talked about this sort of surrogacy contract or agreement. We in the UK, if you're doing surrogacy here, we put a, an agreement together, but it, that is, it's not a legally binding document, that contract, sort of how how important is it? What goes into it? What do people need to be thinking about when, when putting that document together? It's extremely important to put it together to explain the parameters of the relationship with the surrogate, all of the financial terms and conditions, legal terms and conditions, addressing the risks and rights and obligations of the parties. 
Now, various states have, some have statutes here in the US where they require the contract to be in place. And it's specifically written the contract must be in place prior to um, starting the medical cycle. There are a few states that actually require that you put the contract together first, then go to court to get the contract approved, and then you can start the cycle. And so these requirements for the contract can vary from state to state based on, on the statutory framework. But in, in all states, really, the best practice approach is to have that contract in place before starting the cycle. And the contract will cover many things. And one of its main objectives is to fairly and respectfully balance the fact that what's involved here is, of course, the parents and their baby, but also the surrogate and her body and her lifestyle and her family. We have to respectfully address both sides of that equation. And so we address the issues of any medical emergencies, any time that the surrogate is in harm's way, if she's in danger, she has the right to make whatever medical decisions she needs to make. But generally, the idea is to put into the contract that otherwise the parents can be involved in making those decisions. Of course, it is their child. We also address the risks that the parties are voluntarily assuming and they agree not to bring any claims against each other because there are risks that are inherent to any pregnancy. And she assumes these risks voluntarily and agrees not to sue intended parents as long as they've met their obligations. And their obligations are to cover all the fees and expenses that they agreed to, but also medical expenses that are not covered by insurance and to cover her uh, for life insurance and to provide generally the flat fees that are laid out for a variety of different, hopefully unlikely events. So we, had, we address those risks on her part. But the parents also say, look, they understand that there's no way for her to guarantee a successful pregnancy. There's no way for her to guarantee that she will get pregnant or go full term or that the baby will be healthy. And as long as she's met her obligations, they won't sue her. So that's really important to address from the outset. And from the big picture legal perspective, we address the intention of all the parties that the intended parents will become the legal parents and that the surrogate will not be a legal parent and that she will do and sign whatever we need her to do and sign to protect and confirm and establish the intended parents' parental rights, either during the pregnancy or after, as required by law. And so, and you talked about the coming home process and the pre or post birth parental issues. How do you come home with a baby? Can you talk us just through the passport issue and how do you actually do it? Sure, sure. So generally, when the court order is pre-birth, the parents are the legal parents from the moment of birth, and the hospital will attach the court order to their birth certificate paperwork. This is sent to the vital records office, and they prepare the birth certificate, which normally here would take two to three months to obtain. So one of the things that we help do is we help expedite the birth certificate so it's available generally in two weeks or less from the date of birth. And once the parents have the birth certificate in hand, they can then apply for a U.S. passport for the child, which can be expedited. And expedited service can range anywhere from one to five days, depending on how much they want to pay. And uh, and the parents can go home uh, usually within three to four weeks after birth. And that would be the same time frame even with a post-birth order. So if we're not allowed to go to court until after the birth, we can still get things expedited quickly enough to get them home within three to four weeks on average. There are, unfortunately, some states here that are slower than others with birth certificates. So that becomes part of the advice from the very beginning so that the parents can plan accordingly for their their stay that's required here. What lots of people often ask me about, as you know, I've got twins who are born in the US. Um, 
they say, well, are they are they American and do they have an American passport? And people are often really confused about that part of it. <laughs> Fair question. Probably something I should have clarified a little bit earlier. Any yeah. child born in the U.S. on U.S. soil is automatically a U.S. citizen. So the passport that I was referring to earlier is a U.S. passport that the child would qualify for. Now, the child may qualify for citizenship in you know, other countries, depending on the parents' nationalities, um, that they'll have to work on with their home country attorneys. But we typically recommend that the parents focus on getting the U.S. passport first, then they get home, and then they can deal with registering the child as a citizen of the other relevant countries. Rachel, before we go further, maybe you could tell us, in comparison, what is the legal framework in Canada? And what does what do people need to be thinking about for Canada? Yes, so it almost reversed from the United States. And so our legislative framework is at a federal level with respect to the legality of a surrogacy process. So the Canadian government legislates surrogacy, specifically the reimbursable expenses piece. So the important difference between the United States and Canada is that the Canadian process is an altruistic process, meaning that a surrogate cannot be compensated for being a surrogate. So what that means is that there are important rules and regulations in respect of what reimbursable expenses she can seek over the course of a surrogacy. And so those are regulated at a federal level by Health Canada and by our federal government. What differs is that at the state level or provincial level here in Canada is how we manage the post-birth process. So the provinces each have a separate post-birth process for obtaining parentage. What that means is that the process is slightly different in each province here in Canada. And so it will always be determined by where the surrogate is giving birth, generally where she lives, but not always. And so that will determine what the post-birth process looks like. And is there a, do you have a contract or an agreement in the same way that you would in the US or here? Yes, absolutely. And so we create a legal agreement at each um, of the two first stages of the process. So generally that will involve an egg donation agreement between the donor and the intended parents. And then for the second stage of the process, which is surrogacy, we will generally see a surrogacy agreement between the surrogates and the intended parents. And I say generally, obviously if I'm involved, it involves a contract. <laughs> I am certain that there are friend-to-friend surrogacies that occur here in Canada that may not include a contract. But generally our clinics, whenever there is a transfer of embryo or a retrieval of eggs involved, the clinics will require a legal agreement to be in place and for each of the parties to have had independent legal advice. Okay. And then, so again, coming back to coming home, how are you bringing your child home? Do they have a Canadian passport? They do indeed. So step three of the process, which is what happens after my baby is born, is determined by what province she gives birth, the surrogate will give birth in. Once your baby is born, we do not have a pre-birth court order process as they do in the United States. All of those documents are created after the birth of the baby. Generally, we will see across Canada, particularly for international parents, that it is a three-step process. So 
first obtaining a parentage order, so a court order from the court in the province uh, of birth that states that the parents are the only parents of the child and the surrogate is not a parent of the child. The next step would be to obtain a birth certificate and the final step would be to obtain the Canadian passport so that you can return home. And again, we have birthright citizenship here in Canada, so any child born on Canadian soil becomes a Canadian citizen by virtue of their birth and can remain a Canadian citizen for as long as they would like to. And generally, so I think, talk to which it sounded like, and which correct me if I'm wrong here, that in theory, if once your baby's been born in the US, you could maybe come home within maybe five to six weeks. Is that a fair number? Yeah, in the US, it's generally three to four weeks. Okay. There, there are some states where the birth certificates are a bit more delayed than what we would find in, in the majority of the states. And so in, in those places, the parents would be advised early on what additional length of time they would need to be here, but generally three to four weeks. Okay. And so Rachel, in Canada, what, what time frame are we looking at? So for the Canadian process, it is generally three to four weeks. I do want to just note an exception. So I am speaking about several provinces and territories as if they are one cohesive entity with the same process. They are not. So when I say generally three steps, there are provinces that have exceptions to those three steps. One of the exceptions is whether or not you need a court order. At present here in Canada, if your child is born in British Columbia or in Ontario, and we have two other provinces that may be adding to that list, in those provinces, you would not need a court order. But the reason that I say, so you could skip straight to the birth certificate process. The reason I say generally most international parents require the court order is that we find that for the home jurisdiction, the process runs a little bit more smoothly if the intended parents have also a court order supporting their legal parentage. From a time perspective following the birth, we are right on par with the U.S. Three to four weeks is a normal expectation. My personal record is 10 days. But three to four weeks as an outside plan. Sorry, Richard. <laughs> I'm, I'm bragging. But that is definitely an exception to the rule. It's my record, so I, I need to uh, enjoy it for a moment. But three to four weeks is absolutely uh, a reasonable expectation here in Canada for between the date of birth and the date uh, you return home. I have intended parents that always want to count the three to four weeks from the time they arrive in Canada, but I have to be very specific. It's from the date of birth. I cannot control the uh, the birth date of, of their child. Or if you were like us, we ended up staying in California for 11 weeks for no other reason than it was way nicer to be there than it was <laughs> in London with our newborn babies. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to teach your kids financial literacy but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. Yeah, one of the reasons we're doing these podcasts is to help people anticipate what is going to happen on a surrogacy journey and provide all the knowledge and education they need. Rich, in your vast experience with thousands of couples, what are the things that people need to really be thinking about? What are problems that occur that don't need to occur? What's your big bit of advice? Well, I, I can approach this not only as an attorney who's helped you know thousands of clients, but also as a, a former intended parent myself. And this is, this is going to border on less legal than just personal opinion and, and, and intangible, helpful advice, which is to take your time. I think as an intended parent, by the time you get to the place where you need egg donation or surrogacy, there's a sense of urgency, of course. You've been at it for a long time if you're a heterosexual or single single female uh, heterosexual couple. And, and so time seems to have been passing by very quickly and you want your baby yesterday. And so that puts an intended parent in a vulnerable position. You need everybody's help. So you, you want to believe what you hear right away. I, I, I would just caution people to do their research, do it carefully, methodically, check it with someone else uh, who's been through it or another professional. Go in with your eyes wide open and, and realize that this process as highly produced as it is and as safe as it can be in the U.S., there are still risks. And so it's important to understand, to think through it carefully and to um, not rush through it. And to remember that a delay of a month you know, to get a background check or to get a medical screening or a psychological screening or to do whatever needs to be done is a month or two months. In the grand scheme of a child's lifetime, that's nothing. So to remain patient and be diligent in the research. So that is non-legal advice. It's very just... <laughs> very you know. good advice, though. And Rachel, again, is there anything in Canada that you see coming up uh, on a regular basis? Not necessarily Canada-specific, but to build off of what Richard has said, timing and, and having patience is an important part of the process. I think another part of that process is carefully building your support team, uh, whether that is agencies, lawyers, clinics. You are really building a bit of an elite sports team and you want those players to all pass the baton between each other in a smooth fashion and to be able to support both you and your surrogate through that process through anything that may arise. And of course, building that team also involves being patient and looking for the right match with your surrogate. And, and what Rich was saying is that there is that desire to move forward because we're excited about the process. We're excited about meeting our baby. But it is very important that you feel comfortable and confident in the surrogate match that you find so that you know that you are you have that team that you need over the course of the next, let's say, 12 months if you're passing screening and, and going through that process together. So have a touch of patience and build your team carefully would be my, my two pieces of advice. 
And this process is highly produced. There are lots of professionals involved in this process. There are lo- there's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of law and, and the court process. And so you begin to feel mechanical about a lot of this. But at the very center of this process is a, a deeply human experience and a deeply human emotional relationship, hopefully with the surrogate. You don't have to be best friends with her. But remember that that's the core of all of this. And remember that what makes relationships go well is trust and communication. So you have to have the right match. So there can be mutual trust in both directions and there has to be good communication. I think something for parents to think about is what sort of relationship do they envision with their surrogate? And they may not know at the beginning and that's okay, Uh, but do they want a close personal relationship? Then they need to find a surrogate who wants the same thing. Uh, Not everybody wants that. Um, So being matched appropriately on, on that basis is really important. And that helps to support a very smooth process going through. If you're matched with someone who doesn't want to hear from you every day, but you want to call her every day, that's not going to work. I hate to make it sound so trivial and so simple, but that's actually true. I was an intended mother who required at least one WhatsApp, if not one call every single day to know that you know, my babies were kicking. That's what I said to her from the beginning. And that's what she did. And we built a relationship based on my need for an awful lot of reassurance. But for some people, that wouldn't have been right. And as you say, it's really about talking early on and setting expectations and agreeing on those those issues that you probably don't think are that important, but they really, really are to a successful relationship. Rich, we've talked about you being an attorney for intended parents. How does it work in terms of that agreement with a surrogate? Do you represent the surrogate or intended parents responsible for finding her a separate attorney? What's that process? So we also have represented many, many surrogates over the years and and egg donors as well. So we'll represent either side, but only one side of the equation. Best practice in the U.S. is for the parties to have separate, independent legal representation. And if the parties are matched through an agency, usually the agency has enough contacts to provide a list of suggestions to the surrogate so she can pick which counsel she'd like to use. Sometimes they make a suggestion of one or two names. Um, If the agency doesn't have those contacts, they can ask us and then we can make recommendations as well. But she's allowed to pick her own counsel. And Rachel, um, I'm assuming is that that's the same in Canada? It is, yes. So so independent legal advice, as I mentioned earlier, is an important part of the process, uh, particularly for the clinics, prior to retrieval or prior to transfer. So yes, a surrogate would generally have her own independent legal advice, usually introduced to her own lawyer by an agency who has their list of preferred lawyers uh, who they are confident are experienced in the area. We we represent both surrogates and egg donors on one side of a file, or we will represent intended parents on a different file. We would never represent all the parties on the same file. It's a critical part of the process. I think it it lends a feeling of even bargaining power, protection, comfort, and also lends a sense of good negotiation to create a good relationship. I think it's very important for um, both sides to have their own legal counsel to discuss any concerns that they may have leading into the relationship that they want 
clearly reflected in the agreement as far as expectations. So this is an important part of the process in Canada as well. Which when we came back to the UK and went through our parental order process and ended up, as everyone does who's doing international surrogacy in the UK, you go to the High Court and see it in front of a judge and it is um it's a lovely thing to do it's the great day when you told that you're finally the legal parents of your child but it's also quite intimidating you, you are at the high courts we were asked quite a lot of questions about expenses what we paid in the u.s i have a sort of distant memory of quite a large binder of lots of information is that it when people think about their lawyers in the u.s is that something do you help with that process? Do you help with the all that documentation? We do. If we're asked to be involved in that process, it can range from simply signing an affidavit to perhaps sometimes we write a letter explaining how under U.S. law, the intended parents were declared the legal parents here. We get into the fact that the parties had independent legal representation, psychological evaluations, that the contract was compliant with local law, and that the fees and expenses were reasonable and customary, and nothing was out of line. In a couple of cases, we've testified, not only with the UK, but this, this happens in other countries as well. So it can vary as to what they need, but if they need um, documentation from the the escrow account on all the financials, we can provide those summary documents as well. Okay. And I think one of the things that we've talked about before is that with international surrogacy, wherever you're doing it, there are lots of people involved. It is quite a complex process. And Rachel, you said it about having this team and that they all need to work together. And I think that's also really important when you will also need to have a lawyer in the UK and that lawyer needs to work with your US or Canadian attorneys. And I know both of you work with many of the lawyers that that we have in the UK. It's about building a really good team to support you. Thanks so much, Rachel and Rich, for joining us today. We also have another episode about law in the UK with Andrew Spearman. You can find the rest of the series on the Apple Podcast, Acast, Spotify, and our members portal at mysurrogacyjourney.com. Thanks for listening. It's bye from me. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love 
my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. 